This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And welcome to our official Halloween episode of the podcast. Ooh, it's a spooky Ooh. time. Even though it's after Halloween. <laughs> oh, is it after <laughs> Halloween? That's what we get for recording in advance. But this is our November 1st episode. That's not All Saints Day, is it? Is that like a, isn't that the day after the devils run around in the streets and well, make trouble? Now's the time to bring that up. Um, <laughs> We're, we're big on our research here at TDPS Presents Christopher uh, yes. and Eric. Let's, let's bring up research questions now that we're um, actually recording the show. So <laughs> I think it's something like that. Uh, Dia de los Muertes or All Saints Day or I, yeah, it's like. It's part of that whole, I don't know. My my the, favorite thing about this exchange Sam right Hain, now is that we had, like a, we had a 15-minute preparatory conversation about all the stuff we were going to talk about in the first segment, and then I completely threw it off the rails by getting the date of our episode wrong. It's it's Within fun. 30 seconds. Yeah. Yes, Yesterday was Blue Moon. Woohoo! What is that, it's Eric It's the Shaw Blue Quinn? Moon episode. It's the Blue Moon episode of... Um, the dinner, uh, it's not the dinner party show. It's the TDPS presents Christopher and Eric old habits die hard. And it is still kind of the dinner party show. Cause it's still the party people, right? Yes. You guys are still the party people. So absolutely. it's really still a dinner party, even though we don't really call it that anymore. Um, a blue moon is when there are two full moons in the same month. Okay. So there was a full moon on, I think the first and the 31st or something like that of October of this year. So technically I I'm always like, they say it's going to be blue moon on this day, but like nighttime takes place over the course of two days, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Nighttime starts at six o'clock in the evening on one day. It ends at six o'clock in the morning on another day. So which day are we actually talking about? So I think it's still kind of blue moon. I, I don't know. I don't know okay. how that counts. I don't know how they count that, but it would have to have been in the other day for it to have been a blue moon. So it must've been, that's how they're counting it. Once again, opening our show with questions we don't know the complete answer to. It's a TDPS trademark here at the TDPS Network. It's largely my fault well, most of the time because Eric does know a lot of answers to a lot of questions, even though he gets angry when I put him on the spot. It it was Blue Moon. I mean, that yes. we're, I'm sure about. I'm just, the other is just sort of a philosophical question that I have about, you know, is it this week or last week? Which is, you know, we have that conversation all the time when we're scheduling stuff. Absolutely. So let me just give people the headlines about this episode. It was <laughs> that's just, how it was, usually <laughs> he doesn't pay any attention to what I'm saying, and then he says something like, "Absolutely." That's that's how a lot of our conversations go. Or how interesting. That's so interesting. I realize uh, that about myself. I I I have the the weakness or the character flaw of listening to a lot of interviews that I give on various podcasts. And I will listen to myself say, well, it's interesting because, and then I begin to describe something that's really only interesting to me because it's largely about me. So I've I've been trying to phase that out, but I feel that absolutely is creeping in to take over as, as the sort of, I'm thinking mostly about myself while you're talking. Jenna is listening. Jenna is listening. <laughs> My favorite 30 Rock joke. When you were a kid, didn't you pretend to be asleep so that the other kid would shut up? <laughs> you just say the other kid like it was some proverbial other kid. I would sometimes in the car with my friend uh, or friends, they would want to talk a lot about things they were seeing out the window of the car as we were driving, which were also very clear to me and which I didn't really need a description of. And so I would, in the words of my father, who is no longer with us and can't elaborate on this story, I would pretend to nod off in the car so that I no longer had to be like, I, I do see that tree. That is a tree. Oh, and the billboard came after the tree. So I was a shitty little kid is basically the point of that story. Well, 
You just had a strategy for childhood that maybe wasn't typical. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas you were sort of a Jim Jones style cult leader in the in the childhood environments of your choice. I just yeah, the other kids were just sort of like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Um, Yeah, they they were as put off by me as I was by them. And that worked out pretty well until they caught up with me. It was I think it was just a general sort of acuity thing. Like, yeah, they were interested in stuff that I was like, huh? Okay, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like your description of it's a tree. And then there was a billboard and then there was another tree. And look, cows like that was never really going to be a thing for me. You were very much young Sheldon from the CBS sitcoms, the spinoff of The Big Bang Theory. Without, without the scientific genius part. like <laughs> Artistic genius, perhaps, of a I sort. Was, I think I was plenty smart, but I wasn't like figuring out astrophysics and solving 20-part equations and stuff. That was not happening. But I was a smart kid, and it did caused me to have interesting childhood strategies, which I think I've carried forward into adult life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Because everybody didn't catch up when I was 16. Absolutely. And on today's show, no, now I'm just teasing you. But yes, absolutely. I think that Eric's math should always be checked. That's what we've established. Christopher's math should always be checked. He's actually the one who didn't know what day it was as we were recording this episode. But I do want to tell people what we're going to do today in case... Uh, They get sick of our banter, like that one iTunes review I can't seem to let go of because I'm an obsessive, resentful, vindictive person. We are doing something today called What's Spooky, which is in honor of Halloween, which was yesterday, apparently, as we've now discovered after extensive research. But it's still a very spooky time. It is. It's a very spooky time. The world is ending by many accounts and according to many experts. It's a spooktacular weekend, and so we're continuing to spookify. So later in the episode... Eric and I will each be serving up a different uh, television episode of a show called Paranormal Caught on Camera. I will be bringing you Oregon Bigfoot and more. It's like a musical. And more. And Eric will be bringing you CD Motel Poltergeist. But first... Which is like an off-Broadway production. Um, (laughs) It's written by your gay friend. (laughs) So there's some idiot tuned into our show who didn't want to hear banter. I, I, this is, okay, this is how it goes. And I know that creators and authors should not read their reviews, particularly on Absolutely formats. Absolutely not. Like, we should not. It's Complete not, not waste because, of time. Not because they shouldn't exist, but because they're not for us. It's not a venue in which we belong. We shouldn't be, I don't believe we should be policing it, contrary to what some others might think. <laughs> but I did read one, and I will say it happened immediately after I had a, let's say, a sharply worded disagreement with somebody on Facebook. Out of nowhere, up popped this nasty review on iTunes that was oh. like one line and said, I don't like them, and did it? they banter too long. And that was it. That was the whole review. The banter goes on too but long. But that's like the whole show. I know. I know. It's like complaining <laughs> about a podcast show? has talking. Yeah. 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 I don't really. That's a strange Maybe we're not good, but that's not really a real podcast complaint. Anyway, do go on, Christopher. I just was struck by that notion of like, huh, what an odd complaint. I know it is an odd complaint, but everyone has a right to complain. And there's usually a place for them to do it on the Internet. And that's the joy of the 21st century. Or you could do like we do and have your own podcast. (laughs) You could actually go to the trouble of complaining for a whole fucking hour. That's right. (laughs) And see if anyone anyone wants to listen to it. With a title and graphics. Uh, We teased, okay, a couple things. All right, all right, all right. right. It's time to focus on these notes I spent five days putting together. Gotta get serious. Okay, sure. Gotta get serious. Serious notes time. Half a page. Um, Well, no. It's a packet, Eric. We do four shows at once, and I send you a nice, big, thick, healthy packet of show notes for us to sound educated and informed so I can get the wrong date for Halloween on tape. That's great. We Last week, we covered, we brought you a, a special episode about a 30-year-old unsolved homicide here in Los Angeles, the murder of William Arnold oh, Newton. That was um, powerful. That was, was quite an episode. And we want to thank the people who responded and contributed to that episode through our email address, which is devoted to tips and recollections about Billy Newton and the case. That address, again, is William Newton, two L's and William, William Newton Investigation at gmail.com and there are no spaces or underscores. William Newton investigation is essentially all one word. 
Facebook, our Facebook page at the Dinner Party Show is also a place where you can bring tips and recollections. We have some posts about the case on there. We want to tell you that we are in the process of putting together another episode, that we have received new information since we put together our last episode, that even though the 30th anniversary has technically passed as of a few days ago, we will continue to talk about this case for as, as long as we need to until there's some advance made in the investigation or we can bring the attention of of some folks who uh, could helpfully get Yeah, we hope we can line. inspire people who might actually move the case forward. We're not crime solvers, but... Absolutely. Um, so um, that's the thing. Stay tuned for that. We don't, we, you know, we're, it's not going to be this episode, but it takes time to put these episodes together. And thank you for to everyone who wrote in through Facebook and through the email address, William Newton Investigation at gmail.com we also want to tell people we're starting a new thing on facebook we're calling it the wednesday question so if you listen to this episode we will have a question about it on our facebook page that's going to pop up around midweek so we can keep in touch with all of you there and it will be inspired by whatever the hell we end up talking about today and as we teased last week eric shaw quinn visited the hinterlands of netflix a little uh, app that some of you may be aware of or may have on your phones or streaming televisions, and he watched a movie uh, that he has a review of for us today, and that movie is called Enola Holmes, and it stars <laughs> oh, Millie Bobby Brown. It's like, what is he talking about? I am not <laughs> doing a review of Enola Holmes. No. We watched this. We had an arm wrestling match over... Um, yeah, when we wrapped up last time... We said that we were we're going to be talking about two different uh, shows, the uh, Enola Holmes being one of them, the Millie Bobby Brown, uh, the new Netflix version. And I don't want to be spoilery because Christopher didn't watch it. I didn't. So, I didn't um, watch it. But it's that Millie Bobby Brown plays uh, a new character, but the, it, it's built around Sherlock Holmes and his brother Mycroft, and she plays their younger sister, Enola. Um and uh, Henry Cavill is the most beautiful Sherlock Holmes ever. And Sam Claflin is uh, certainly the most fetching Mycroft. And I am a huge fan of Millie Bobby Brown. So it was no fail. Also, Helena Bonham Carter plays her mom. It's a pretty great um, a, a new addition to the Sherlock Holmes pantheon. Uh, and Netflix spared no expense. But probably the most interesting thing about the production is... The uh, the lawsuit, the the heirs Ooh, of Arthur Conan Doyle. That. Yeah, what's the, that all, about? The heirs of they're suing Netflix and uh, I, you know I don't know Millie Bobby Brown and whoever else that most of Sherlock Holmes has slipped into public domain, but they say that Sherlock Holmes being in a better mood is the province of the last ten <laughs> stories. So because. Henry smiles and stuff in this. They say that that's an infringement on their rights. So they're suing over Henry's smile, basically. Um, I'm, I can't see that this lawsuit's going to go very far, but, you know, points for trying. And, uh, you know, Netflix has a billion dollars. They may just say, you know, here's $100,000 to shut the hell up. Um, mm -hmm. You never know how those things go or pay off your lawyers for bringing this incredibly frivolous suit. But... Uh, yeah, so that may be the most the, the the movie is certainly lovely and well worth a watch. And you will be able to attest to the fact that um, Class Action Park is oh oh my god a can't miss uh, HBO HBO Max. Uh, extravaganza if you're if you're <laughs> one of the people who has not for some reason one of the many millions of people who has not yet activated hbo max even though you can because you're an hbo subscriber <laughs> there's like a lot of people out there that have not activated the service yet i recommend doing it for this documentary it is about the most dangerous reckless amusement park ever in history it's also and about a time period. It's also about a time period. It was in the 80s, and some white-collar criminal who was, I don't know what he was found guilty of, I've already forgotten on Wall Street, opened Securities up Securities fraud reckless, or something. Yeah, this reckless, no rules. People were injured. People were killed. There were lawsuits. They call it class action for a reason. There was no sort of regulation. Like, you really sort of have to see it to believe it. There's plenty of footage and, and actual eyewitness accounts of 
the horrors that were inflicted on, you know, young people who sort of came as a rite of passage. And it dawned on us as we were, that that people very closely affiliated with TDPS. And and so we reached out immediately because I was like, what Jersey girls do I know? Because I think it was in Trenton, New Jersey. And I was like, somebody we were, someone who we work with very closely on our website, Kathy DiPiero, were like, I bet she went to Clash Action Park when she was little. So meanwhile, the whole documentary is like animations of little children being hurt on these horrible, dangerous water slides and skis. I mean, it's just monstrous. So I write to Kathy and I say, Kathy, did you ever go to Class Action Park? And I'm expecting her to write back and say, yeah, I broke my arm. It was horrible. My cousins were injured. And she writes back and she goes, yeah, all the time. You know, they made you carry your inner tube all the way up to the top of the slide. It was so weird. And I'm like, that's your reaction to Class Action Park? You really are a Jersey girl. Absolutely. This, this, she's a tough customer, that that Kathy. She was prepared for it and, uh, and not... Uh, and not at all uh, part of the class action. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Okay, let's dive into the spooky stuff that we're promising everybody on today's because podcast. Because instead of doing what science this week, we're doing what's spooky. And now it's time for another edition of what's spooky. Okay. So, we both watched an episode of Paranormal Caught on Camera. I get to go first because Eric went first on our last What Science episode. And somebody was keeping score, apparently. And I always keep score. Season 1, Episode 6. My episode is entitled Oregon Bigfoot and more! Exclamation point. Although I think I might have added the exclamation point. I'm not sure that's actually part of the episode title. I can't really imagine. And it was Oregon that was the thing that really appealed to him. I love Oregon. Bigfoot. I love Bigfoot. I love monsters. I love cryptids. Eric Shaw Quinn, do you know what the definition of a cryptid is? I don't. What is the definition of a cryptid, Christopher Rice? It is any animal that has, there is no proof of its existence. (laughs) There is no irrefutable scientific proof of its existence. So Bigfoot, Mothman, uh, you you know, I I was going to make a political joke there. I decided not to make it the last minute. So nothing. So it's like, so we have two cryptids featured on this episode. And I want to say, as with the last What Science episode we did, these are buffet episodes where they offer up multiple cases in a single hour of television. So I am going to make the executive decision to focus in on the ones that I liked the most first. And you, of course, Eric, are free to do whatever you want to do with your episode because there's no stopping you from doing whatever you want to do. That's pretty much the way it's always been, yes. At any time. From now and since the beginning of time. So here's what I'll have to say about this show in general, which I actually enjoyed. And part of the reason I enjoyed it is that it includes interviews with the people who submitted the video. And that is when you, as an audience member, can decide, are these people completely crazy? And I would have to say the crazy quotient didn't seem that high to me on my episode. A lot of them were very convincing. Um, some of the videos submitted were subtle. Some were completely wild and out of this world. But I'm going to start with the one that that scared me the most and also seemed the most convincing. But I will begin my discussion of it with a question. Eric Shaw Quinn, have you ever heard of Skinwalker Ranch? God, yes. And that's as much as I that's as much information as I have. For some reason, whatever it is, has kind of drifted out of my memory. But maybe years of watching Supernatural, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. But I have heard of it, though Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you what it is. 
Okay, well, it's basically like a Walmart for paranormal activity. It's, it is said to be a region in Utah, rural Utah, in which UFO sightings, shapeshifters, cattle mutilations, which may or may not be connected to UFO visitations, all are said to happen on this one stretch of Utah in, I'm going to get the name of the county up, it is uh, Unitaw County. U-N-I-T-A-H. Now, it has given rise to countless specials like this one, including a reality show that I didn't care for and couldn't get through more than two episodes of. But the origin story for Skinwalker Ranch basically goes like this. Many, many years ago, the Navajo Indians and the Ute Indians were warring over this specific area of land because it was prime hunting ground. The Ute won it. And in retaliation, the Navajo cursed it. And a component of their curse is that it is supposedly inhabited by skinwalkers. And they are defined as malevolent witches who are capable of shapeshifting into coyotes or foxes to evade detection. So they're not limited to wolves. They're not like werewolves. They're more like multiverse shapeshifters. They can adopt the form of a bunch of different animals. Um, so... The uh, There are truck drivers who drive through this area late at night who say things run alongside the road next to their trucks that they can't necessarily identify. And this video that they show is Which is good because they should be looking where their truck is going and not <laughs> off at the side of the road. Eric Shaw Quinn, who has never driven an 18-wheeler, weighs in on how to drive an 18-wheeler. Is that how this is I think is looking go? in front of the vehicle you're driving is pretty sort of basic whatever. <laughs> if you're in a, 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 a tuna can from Italy or um, an 18-wheeler from Mack Truck, you're uh, definitely yes. better off to be looking out the front windshield. Yes, absolutely. I agree. I agree. I was just being smart, as we tend to driving be on this safety show. tips from the non-driver. <laughs> Look forward at the road on which you are actually driving. Love, Eric Shawquin. Please. So this video shows a strange black human-like form staring back at the cameraman from the rocks, but it doesn't move. Initially, it holds completely still, as if it knows it's being studied, and then. It seems to morph, inhabiting characteristics of a few different species at once as it, le as it sort of crests this rocky mound, enters a brighter little patch of sunlight, and then moves off with a, with a series of movements that are sort of feline in nature. And I was... I didn't look fake to me. It looked it looked really strange. Now, it could just be an optical illusion that was created by the distance and the various angles of sunlight on the rock, but it looked like something that was one thing that suddenly changed into another thing as it ran away. And the shape that it, it was holding while it was staying still wasn't it wasn't intensely recognizable to me. I wasn't like, oh, that's a mountain lion or oh, that's a jaguar or whatever. However, as one of the commentators... Did it ever look like a person? It did not look like a person to me. It did so not. So some if kind it, of animal. If it was a person, it was incredibly comfortable being on all fours, and it had a general shape to it that would have seemed cumbersome and way too awkward as a costume for it to move in the speed and with the agility that it moved away okay. from the cameraman. Okay. However, one commentator says possibly it's a holy person who has transcended the physical form. That seems a little out there for me. Like, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not sure how they arrived there without yeah, a Yeah, that's like, okay, yeah, sure. Or possibly it's a tablespoon of black hole that's followed it. Like, I, th those people that they bring in to say wackadoodle stuff are like, really? You kind of you spoiled it. it was and I will say this. I don't know if he popped up on your episode, but do you remember listening to a podcast with me called Last Podcast from the Left, which was like a bunch of kind of dude bro yes. guys? Yes. They were very sort of loud and outrageous. But Brian Kissel from that podcast is one of the commentators here. And despite the contrary tone he may adopt on his podcast, his comments here suggest that he believes in a great deal of this stuff and, uh, you know, is not a reflexive skeptic. Yeah, he was in my episode, too. Oh, OK, good. OK, so we'll get to him. We'll talk more about. So Brian he's a Kissel regular, later. apparently. Yeah. The next, I would say, most compelling, and these always are to me, this was very similar to a phenomenon called the Phoenix Lights. I don't, you know, you know, you've seen uh, the Phoenix yeah. Lights. Yeah. Yes. The case ID they assigned, the show assigned to this was Lone Star Struck. 
uh, Tomball, Texas, that's spelled T-O-M-B-A-L-L for anyone who wants to Google this, 2018, a young man named Nicholas Daly turns up at his apartment complex and he sees that his neighbors are all looking up into the night sky. And what they're looking at, which he films very clearly and for an extended period of time, are a trio of brightly lit objects way up in the sky and they're moving in a relationship to each other that does not seem anything like a helicopter or a conventional aircraft that we would be familiar with in this plane of reality. Right. And the other aspect of it is that the comments of the people on the ground are so authentic and they feel so real. Like they're, you know, it's like, it's like, what the hell is that? You know, on one hand, but it's also right. like, oh my God, are we really seeing this? And yeah. um, do they move super fast? Is that the. Do they, they do. lurch across the sky in big bursts or are they more reasonable pace? They they may do that because what it appeared they were doing was was winking in and out. And because it was a nighttime illumination, I've seen the videos you're describing. That series unidentified on the History Channel has that unbelievable declassified footage of that moving yeah. incredibly fast across the sky. They may have been winking out and doing that because they would vanish and then suddenly reappear or one would vanish and then reappear. Oh, but that's was... interesting. No, that's a new different phenomenon. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And though, okay, so I don't want to bury the headline. What did Winklevoss deep. have to say about that one? Did he buy that too? That is Winklevoss what we're calling Brian Kissel Whatever now? his name is. Yeah, Kissel. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'll say this. I was really annoyed. We did two episodes of What on Earth for What Science, and I was annoyed by the sort of scripted nature of the commentators on that show. And there was a similar vibe to this show, but it wasn't quite as hit you over the, the nose with what they were trying to make you believe. But they, they all seemed to buy into everything that they were seeing. They didn't really include a skeptic in the bunch. I don't know if that's how your episode went. But, um, and... It was interesting to decide what was scary and what wasn't, which I think is sort of a larger conversation about the unexplained. Like, is this actually a thing that's truly scary or is it just something that I don't understand? And that brings up one of the weirder things they did on the episode, which was two bicyclists. I believe this was, let me check my notes. Um, I think it was somewhere in South Carolina or North Carolina. It might have even been Hilton Head Island. Here it is. It was actually Hilton Head Island. They were bicycling through the kind of swampy brush area, uh -huh. and they came across this big single leaf. I'm going to say it's about hand-sized that was moving wildly back and forth, and there appeared to be no wind, no breeze. It was completely unclear what was affecting this thing. They actually got in the frame with it, tried to touch it, and its motion remained. It was almost like a metronome, like really wild and back and forth. And their their vibe was, this is a scary thing that is telling us to get out of here. But in reality, it was just a leaf that was moving back and forth really wildly. And they were the most compelling interview. They were interviewed next to the Bigfoot guy's son, who I'll get to in a minute. But they were interviewed and they were like, we got a bad feeling. It was not, we almost tried to touch it to see if, we, you know, if that's was what it was going to take to like come into contact with whatever was moving it. We couldn't do it. We felt like it was a message that we needed to get out of that section of woods really fast and you know, all that sort of stuff. So, so Hilton had South Carolina then that's Hilton yeah, had South vacationers, Carolina. maybe a little herb before, but they had video of it. They had video of it. And I, I that's the thing this. that's interesting about this series is that they have video of the phenomenon that whatever it is that they're talking about, I don't know that they, I would count them all as being paranormal, but like, I don't count UFOs as being paranormal necessarily. Um, I always think of that as being more ghostly. Mm-hmm. How but, so? How, how, you mean ghostly, like outside the I, boundaries I, of what we can explain, but I think of paranormal as being more of a ghostly kind of, Oh, I see. You know, right. that sort of, whereas UFOs seem like a phenomenon and a really interesting one, but they are a more specific kind. I don't see them as necessarily. Anyway, it doesn't make any difference. You get video was yes. my point with these. So it gives a, a level of credibility that um, some of our other what science entries um, have not necessarily possessed. Absolutely. So uh, Oregon Bigfoot, Oregon Bigfoot. Finally, 
Wasn't your favorite, but still in there. Well, it is in a way. It wasn't my favorite, but it was more compelling than I expected it to be. This is apparently pretty famous Bigfoot footage. And the way that this was presented was that the son of the man who took it, and that man is no longer with us, was interviewed. And what he's uh, the thing that keeps me um, open-minded on the topic of cryptids and Bigfoots is that I'm often very emotionally convinced by the accounts of the witnesses that they often give very level-headed interviews which suggest to me that they had some kind of experience that cannot be easily explained away with some sort of creature that uh, is a part of our world but maybe exists just outside the boundaries of our understanding or our science, you know, that doesn't require insane leaps of logic to exist. You know, it doesn't right. require portals and dimensions, although there are Bigfoot believers who believe that they are connected in some way to all of that. Anyway, in the Blue Mountains in eastern Oregon, in a pretty thickly wooded area, a Bigfoot um, enthusiast or explorer, we should call him Paul Freeman, uh, really set about through this area for a long time looking for Bigfoot. And what he found mostly were tracks, and those, of course, are very controversial. But on August 20th, 1992, he was tracking some of these tracks, haha, um, and it was a really dry period. And so there weren't a lot of viable water sources in the area. And he zeroed in on one that was still being used by a lot of animals. And that is where he raised his camera and captured footage of what appears to be a Bigfoot-like creature wandering through the woods. Now, a lot of people are familiar with the Patterson-Gimlin film, which was taken in the 60s, which is shot from across a wide field and features a Bigfoot-like creature looking back over its shoulder and then moving off into the woods. My dad was always completely skeptical of it because he said the movements of the creature were far too human and it looked like a man in a suit. What sells me on this is not necessarily the movement of the creature in the film, but the son's account that there were two times in his father's life that he saw him truly scared. One was on the day that he died, apparently. Sad story. But the other was the day that he came home after taking this footage of this creature in the woods. And that was that wow. made me sit up a little bit. You know, like I Why you know, did the, it frighten him, did he say? I, I would he didn't say necessarily, but I would say this. If it is what it is, it doesn't demonstrate a lot of fear of the man filming it. It is it is quite relaxed. <laughs> In its movement through the woods, it's like, oh, you're here, I'm here, and I'm not afraid of you. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow. No, I meant in the car. Okay, so in the time that I have left before Eric rips the microphone away from my mouth, I, I wanted to... you're already <laughs> tramping on my segment. <laughs> Just a little bit. I'm going to do one more. Um, there were a couple more, but they didn't interest me as much as this one. We're going to go to Pembroke, Wales, which is described as a town steeped in a thousand years of history, the birthplace of one of England's great kings. And so some ghosts and left behind. And the only place in Wales that it's possible to actually pronounce. Yes, absolutely. Pembroke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but apparently these ghosts from a, a thousand years ago have decided to mess with some guy's kitchen. And one of the commentators weighs in with a blazing uh, bit of insight. Why, why do we see so many poltergeist explosions in kitchens? Because, she says, there are a lot of things in a kitchen to throw. <laughs> and that is apparently a hallmark of a lot of poltergeists. This is one of those video sequences. <laughs> that is maybe the stupidest comment it's a really I, I, not smart comment um yeah that's really that's great that's classic yeah i have as many things to throw in every room of the house i well, just you're a big trinket anyway, guy please you do got tell a lot us. of trinket yes okay okay please so, do tell us about 
your ghost so that I could get to my stuff. I know, right. I'm just trying to wrap this up because this was the most uh, kinetic, if you will, of any of the entries and the most. It included several videos from a man who said he wanted to remain anonymous, yet spoke extensively into his own video camera in his apartment, identified the area he lived in, but just never gave his name. And I guess he believes that is enough to keep him anonymous. You know, um, everybody's sense of anonymity is their own. I guess so. And I just don't know if there is any anonymity anymore in the age of the Internet. But the long and short of it is this. He set up some cameras in his kitchen for when he left. And that's when he captured all of this sort of crazy poltergeist activity. He then made the number one mistake that everyone says you're not supposed to do when you're having poltergeist activity. And that is he attempted to communicate with a Ouija board, which... Paranormal exports say is an invitation. It's like inviting an old school vampire to cross your threshold. It renders you powerless as the lost boys taught us. And as Anne Rice paid zero attention to in her books, um, he used this Ouija board and there is video of him placing a large glass upside down because that's what he was going to use for his, whatever it's called the remote control. Okay. And the glass explodes in his hand. And I rolled it back several times to see if it looked fake. But it was one of those videos where it was like experts in video actually need to look at this because it's so there's so many frames, so many angles that if it was a hoax, it would require a lot of work. But I don't think it was impossible and it would need a sharper eye than mine. But I'm going to finish up with that one because that line that poltergeist haunt kitchens because there is a lot to throw is maybe one of my favorite things anyone on any special we have ever covered has said on this podcast. So Eric Shaw Quinn, I now hand the paranormal so, baton. Were to you, you spooked? I was spooked by the skinwalker. I was not spooked. There were two ghost things. This was probably the most extensive one. They both looked a little rigged to me. They both looked like they could have been done with strings or, or other sort of really rudimentary special effects. They didn't. Ghosts in general don't scare me as much as wildlife that may be living in the shadows of what we can see. That scares me way more and compels me way more. You know, cryptids, essentially. We discover animals we thought were extinct all the time, particularly in the ocean. We discover a new you? fish. Yeah. You've discovered a bunch of animals that you thought. Last week. I have it. You said we. It's generous of you to include me. I, <laughs> I, there are no like I, that would require going outside, and you know I'm not a fan of that. So I know you're I haven't not. discovered pretty much any animals other than the neighbors' dogs, and I try and avoid them as well. So absolutely, so yeah. That's that's not really my thing. All I right, discover Eric. Mirabelle every time I go to your mother's house, sitting on my chair in the breakfast room because no other chair will do. Mm-hmm. It's uh, time for your episode, Eric Shaw Quinn. Oh. All right, then. So, yes, my um, paranormal caught on ca- uh, camera episode. Caught on cats. One ep- <laughs> season, season one, episode two. No, there are no cats. I don't think, thinking back, no, I don't think there were any cats in this. We'll see. I have to, I don't necessarily remember it uh, at all. Um, mine was season one, episode two, and it I don't know. It was something about CD motel or something. That was the CD motel poltergeist. Yeah. That was the thing that, uh, that, uh, drew me in. Um, and, uh, as it turns out, that was the very first, um, segment, um, on mine because these are buffet, as you said, generously, um, <laughs> segments, um, very generously. I don't know. Buffet would require that maybe I wanted everything that was there or, would have been interested in it. Salad times. bar. Um, my opening, uh, yeah, okay, sure. Or dumpster um, <laughs> would also cover it. Um, my opening remark uh, to the whole thing is I am available. Uh, people at uh, Paranormal Caught on Camera, I am available to do voiceover, as are, I think, people with more paranormal caught on camera kinds of announcer voices. They mm. got this guy who sounds like great kid. Who's going to sell you a Honda or a mm. Chevy to mm. do the announcing. And I was like, this is really not the voice for this particular um, series. It just seems like you'd want somebody that's a little deeper and a little more mm. resonant, a little spookier and, mm-hmm. you know, 
talks that just really right off the bat. I just thought that was kind of a tenny note with the whole thing. We open um, with Frank Ramirez, a Texas businessman who travels to Harlingen, Texas and stays in the um, aforementioned CD motel. Um, he opens by filming uh, drinking glasses and the telephone. He says one of the glasses fell on the floor, even though none of them are on the floor, and that the phone fell off the hook, even though the phone is on the hook. And uh, he doesn't know why, he says. Um, and he's worried. Wait, so none of the um, stuff he's saying is happening in the video is actually happening in the video? He just shows us the phone and the drinking glasses, like in a cheap mm. in a shitty motel room. Like, he's right about the motel room. Like, mm, yes, this is definitely... <laughs> Not a nice motel. Um, Susan Slaughter, a paranormal investigator, says that there's a lot of energy going on at a hotel um, and these places. For instance, she says you might have a romantic liaison or possibly a suicide at a hotel for people looking for privacy. Susan seems a little dark to me. And uh, maybe somebody, maybe somebody should check on Susan. I'm a little worried about her. <laughs> I don't if those mean to are laugh her two suicide, thoughts. But like, those aren't the only two things that happen in a motel. Okay, sorry. Right. Meet your mistress or kill yourself. Those were right. Susan's thoughts on going to a motel, and I was like, "Wow, Susan, little dark." Yeah, somebody <laughs> check on Susan. Then. Uh, Brian Cano, who is also a paranormal investigator, says you never know how energy is going to interact, um, which I guess is supposed to be helpful or informative somehow. (laughs) I don't know why. Then Ben Kissel, the host of the last podcast on the left, Mm -hmm. says, let's face it. Horrible things happen at hotels. Just ask a cleaning person and then no one does. (laughs) Then we go back to Frank and his um, iPhone, and the phone actually does fly off the hook on camera, filmed by Frank. Okay. The hook, it just, the, 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 the receiver just flies right off the phone, kind of like if you tied a piece of fishing wire to it mm-hmm. and yanked it. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was like, okay, that, I guess that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, then we cut to Mark Skewerman, co-founder of Weird New Jersey. I don't know if that's a TV show or an actual city in New Jersey, but he's the co-founder. And he says that it's not safe to be in places where things are flying around. So apparently Mark has been to Louisiana during tornado or hurricane season or pretty much any other time. Absolutely. Or locust season. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Things are definitely flying around. And then, honest to God, we're only about four minutes into the show and yet another uh, expert, Sapphire Sadalo, host of Something Scary. We're not clear if that's a review or the title of something <laughs> that uh, Sapphire hosts, joins the scrum as our fifth or sixth commentator. Yes. She says, poltergeists can be dangerous. That's really pretty much it. Mm-hmm. But they brought her in just to say it. Oh, my God. Um, and then in a cut with more footage of the phone flying off the hook, Mark Moran, editor and co-founder of Weird New Jersey, still not clear whether it's a city or not, joins us because what we need is more talking heads. And mm-hmm. he says, I kid you not. Who knows? Maybe something happened in that room that didn't have the communicative skills to pull that off. Uh, and that pretty much sums up the segment. What? Yeah. Like so like he was to trying to make a phone call, but he just kept pulling the phone off the hook. He just like, all he could do was take the phone off the hook, but he couldn't call for help. Okay. Um, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Then apparently a towel moves, though it was off camera. But they do show us footage of the towel. Then a coat hanger actually jumps off the dresser. Again, kind of similar to the phone. And then Frank says to the poltergeist, can you make the phone move again? And it moves. Mm -hmm. It's already off the hook, but it kind of wiggles there on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, you can't see the fishing line if it's fishing line. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's you know reasonably well done effect if it's an effect, and if it's a poltergeist, well then it's very responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, afraid of being attacked, if he rushes for the door, Frank then sneaks out of the room, 
And though he stays the night in the hotel, he stays in a different room. And then, you guessed it, another talking head, Rosemary Allen Gall- Ellen Galley, we a had paranormal all the same author people. and researcher, yeah. mm-hmm. says that this doesn't happen for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By God, mm-hmm. apparently Ellen believes that ghosts are not allowed uh, illogical and that they must have a reason for doing what they do. Then Frank tells us that after the video went viral, a family from Harlingen contacted him to tell him that their daughter had been murdered <gasps> in that very motel room and that the killer had never been caught. Ew. Ew. But that's it. So that was that was the. The titular, the uh, mm-hmm. the eponymous ep- uh, segment. Okay, uh, all right. Of my particular buffet. So, mm, okay, maybe I was mm-hmm. a li- I was pretty skeptical. That was the opening. Lot of experts. Like there were more experts than there were uh, paranormal ev- events. Uh, I had them all. I'm glad you're you know assessing all of them. But yeah, I have to say their inserts were brief. They didn't say. A lot. There was just oh, so many. Like one line, rotating. and most of the lines were ridiculous. Like yeah. yours with the. What was your favorite? The ghost the ki- kitchen has something. a lot of stuff to throw. So ghost yeah, love to kitchens. throw. Yeah, that's that was that was pretty much the level of the commentary throughout. I like the guy from the left because he just says the most outrageous stuff. He never really right. even tries to zero in on it. Um, the segment two was called "Oh Holy Light." Okay. Um, in it, Ella Dale Gedelievich, um, a man from Israel, sees a USO oh. over the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. Wait, it's a UFO? Right. A UFO, right? I think you said a yeah, USO. Yeah, a UFO. I think you said a USO. Did I like say a USO? Bob I don't know, Hope but I meant USO a UFO. Show? <laughs> okay, Absolutely. Sorry, there was Bob Hope was hovering over the Dome of the Rock um, <laughs> the ghost with of Bob uh, Joey Hope. Heatherton um, in uh, Jerusalem. Um Several experts make the case that UFOs are attracted to sacred sites, though they don't say why. Mm-mm. Like, just why say would they be they're... sacred to the UFO? Like, what's the what's the it's, point? It's like I compared it to Plato's The Euthyphro. It's, uh, is, is it holy because the they come, or do they come there because it's holy? Whoa, the Euthyphro man. is uh, one of the Socratic dialogues, and the question is, do gods love piety because... It's pious, or is it pious because it's loved by the gods? So mm. I just thought, okay, so that was it. So and it was, it was the spear moving really fast through the sky. It was that UFO story. Okay. Um, segment three was called security wait, wait, risk. Wait, wait, wait. But did you believe the footage you were seeing? Did you think it was authentic? Uh, you know, like uh, it was just a single shot on a cell phone and uh, there was somebody standing in the foreground and you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it was very sort of, and it moved. The thing that it did was it moved really fast. It was hovering over and then it shot up into the sky. And that was, that's the thing that always is like, I don't know a phenomenon. I don't know a naturally like a helicopter or something could not move that fast. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's Jetpack yeah. guy from LAX, but um, they better find him. He's pissing people off. Jetpack's guy. He's going to get hit by yeah. a plane. He's going to. That's going to be bad for the windshield. plane. If he doesn't get sucked yeah. up into the engine, he's going to hurt people on the plane. He needs a jetpack guy. If you listen to our podcast, stop fucking with LAX. You're freaking people out. All right. Anyway, and you're going to get height. Right. Okay, in Security Risk, Segment 3, Jay Brown is a security guard in Chicago, Illinois, um, which I pronounced with an S for some reason. <laughs> like a nine-year-old who's learning right? to spell. Um, All right, we got five okay. minutes left, Eric Shaw Quinn. You gotta... Well, that's because you cut into my time. Like you Mr. did into Brown, mine last week. Um, has had multiple encounters with the same spiritual entity, but since you can't see it, my question is, how do you know it's the same one? <laughs> Right? (laughs) But caught on security cam, um, something appears to happen with the carpet, like it's like something moving across the carpet in front of the security desk where Mr. Brown is sitting. But you can't really tell, but it's on security cam, so there's Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The carpet thing keeps happening, apparently. Uh, Mark Maron or Moron or Maron or whatever, Moron from New Jersey, um, from weird New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, from the, the beautiful city of weird New Jersey says that ghosts are very repetitive. 
Um, yes. Apparently and it apparently so. keeps happening, but Jay gets used to it. So naturally, they in- uh, introduce yet another paranormal investigator, uh, Dan Sturgis, to say that uh, you're scared of what you don't understand, except that it's immediately following Mr. Brown coming to terms with the spirit coming and going across the carpet, even though he doesn't understand. In fact, Mr. Brown um, uh, reasons that maybe the spirit is just cold and coming in from outside. And Chicago is a fairly cold place. So it's very maybe. cold in Illinois. Um, my um, important right um, is it's Illinois. Um, <laughs> My uh, my uh, production note for this segment is that Rosemary's wig appears to be falling off. <laughs> it's it's slowly slowly working its way back on her head. Her forehead seems to be growing. Maybe that's another phenomenon for another show. Um, <laughs> segment four is um, Russian to conclusions. Ha 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 ha. Get it? Um, in uh, Sverdlovsk, Russia. Um, Russian dash cam, my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an explosion in the distance and it lights up the sky. I was like, this isn't paranormal. This is not very weird. Yeah, they um, tried to do locusts on mine. And I'm like, this isn't paranormal just because you've decided it means the end of the world. Yeah. It gets back to your platonic thing you talked about. And they show you a footage where you can clearly see that it's a ground-based explosion reflecting on the clouds, which is like, okay, that's a phenomenon, but it's not really paranormal. And mm-hmm. I don't really think that whatever. Anyway, some completely random girl shows up no ID and says that some, they saw something crazy in the sky because it's Russia, Um, (laughs) which is vaguely racist and nationalist. Yeah. There's no clue who she is or why she feels that way about Russia, but it's a little off putting. Russia is weird. Apparently later, the mystery girl, Natalia Reagan returns. This time she's ID'd as an, anthropologist primatologist oh she was on no mine shit. too yeah that's no it. shit mm-hmm. um yeah wearing a paisley jumpsuit um she's id just in time to speculate that it's a ufo even though it's clearly a bound ground-based explosion and they've just said so mm. um my other programming note is and i don't know if this was true on yours apparently um the show has uh, a stock ufo um that they just plug into whatever uh, segment that they're talking about. I, it's y- kind of this ridiculous, it's clunky. It looks like, you know, somebody's a child's toy and they just kind of feature it. They pop it into their videos. Did, uh, did you yeah, see no, that? They, uh, they didn't, they had a lot of stock footage of like people taking videos on their phones and all that sort of stuff. Stock footage is now trading up. It's how it's like this porn scene is opening in Chicago. Oh wait, no, they just used stock footage and now we're on a badly lit stage. You know, um, maybe maybe you didn't notice that the way I did, but yeah, there's this show was full of weird stock footage to indicate crowd scenes and the yeah. like and everything. But they have a sort of standard UFO thing that they put yeah. up for UFOs, and I was like, okay, that's really like a bad piece of of UFO. Segment five is bored to death, haunted Ouija boards. Lots okay. and lots of talk about the history of Ouija boards, vis- videos of stupid Ouija board nonsense. Um, an earth tremor while they're doing the Ouija board, several other equally yeah. stupid Ouija board YouTube videos. Really a bad segment. Not a, to- not a toy, says Rosemary, her wig still barely hanging on. Yeah, I will say um, I, uh, I don't fuck with Ouija boards, though. I don't I like I'm not saying the videos were real that you saw, but I don't I had an experience with a Ouija board once and I don't mess with them. I don't. I, I think it's like being afraid of a Monopoly board, which not coincidentally is made by the same company. That's because you are the person in the horror movie who ends up having a terrible experience because you are the loudest non-believer at the outset of the I'm film. I'm the person who survives the, the horror movie. No, I do um, not. You are not the final girl. You are not the final girl. You may survive, but you can't, you're not the final. You're the, I'm one, the bitchy that they one think who turns is dead up. who shows up later and was like, yeah, I kicked that yes, bitch's ass. That's the one. That's the one I am. Because you're the I've been, yeah, I went that's to. That's Brandy. I and I know to, what you did last summer. I went to in and out while the rest of you were dealing with this nonsense. <laughs> well, I feel like your reaction to paranormal caught on camera was similar to my reaction to what on earth, because for me, I have a greater desire to believe in cryptids 
then you have a desire to believe in any of this stuff. But you have a desire to believe. You just don't like fake experts. That's what really set you well, off. Then, then you'll be. I was. It was more the the production itself. Segment six was called Sound and Fury. It was a kind of Godzilla rusty door blowing in the wind noise that a number of people around the world heard. They couldn't source it. There was no, it was like, oh, I think it was like did. a train passing through. I no, just was did. like, that was terrible. I saw, they, they sourced that. Somebody sourced that. They figured out what it was, but we'll, we'll talk about that on a future episode. It was like anyway. a train coming yeah. on the track and the, it was really, it was, yeah, it was like, yeah, I'm not really. Segment seven was Snowbound Sasquatch. Oh, da, da, cryptid da. alert. Um, somewhere, um, uh, that uh, autocorrect called Truck Honey Pig. I don't know what the actual name. But, that would but I be was, a show note issue on your notes. I was dictating. I was dictating <laughs> these notes into my phone, and autocorrect called it Truck Honey Pig, British Columbia. Um, two guys are walking again with autocorrect. Autocorrect says 510 miles away. I think it was five to ten miles away. And hundreds. <laughs> hundreds if not thousands of feet way below them, they see this little dot walking in the snow um, and naturally decide it's a Sasquatch. I don't know what it was based on. Um, it was pretty much a complete waste except for Miles, no last name, like Cher. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of a babe and oh. probably stoned at the time of the sighting. And I had more fun speculating about what he and his buddy were doing out wearing sunglasses and short sleeve shirts alone in this snowy wonderland on this remote mountaintop and in this incredibly cold snowing day that we were apparently seeing. And then, then I did while then listening to the aspect of the rest of this ridiculous tale, it could have been somebody with a backpack. There were even moments when it looked like it might've had been a moose or a deer running away from them in the mm-hmm. snow and it appeared to maybe have horns or whatever. I don't know. Watch and judge for yourself. And segment eight, finally, is unidentified and multiplied is another UFO sighting in Massachusetts with glowing orbs splitting up this time mm-hmm. and then remerging back together and moving very quickly. Like my Texas night. ones. That's how they were. Yeah. If you have shitty YouTube videos of anything even remotely spooky, you can apparently send it to submitparanormal at gmail.com, they say, Mm -hmm. um, because their segment producers are way too busy delivering Postmates to actually curate (laughs) the videos on the show um, themselves. Um, So that was kind of my overall experience with what you call it. I thought it was a fun show. (laughs) I I didn't necessarily see anything that I bought into necessarily, but Mm -hmm. but it was a fun show. The UFO things continue to be the most unexplained to me, but I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily count them as paranormal. Maybe we should do a UFO show. Oh, I think so. I think we totally should because I get all into that. I will tell you that Unidentified series, which is basically a reality show about the fact that one of the members of Blink-182, Tom DeLonge, is now dedicating his life to finding out what the fuck is actually going on with UFOs and when will disclosure happen because that's the big event everybody in ufology wants to get is disclosure. The government knows more than they're letting on. They want it... They want to, That's yeah, the one thing that I really don't believe. You, you can, I don't believe. I've never once experienced anything that makes me to believe that the government possesses the level of organization necessary to keep a secret that big for this long. I just don't believe it. I, I just that's that's in that's the most incredulous part of it to me. They may not know what it is. That's and they may it. be denying that they're seeing it. That's but I it. don't believe that they. I don't believe that they know. Yeah, I don't think they know either, but they've been denying what they've been seeing. They've been trying to cover it up now. And we should also do in an episode about the Magic Men. Do you know who the Magic Men were? We're almost out of time, so I'm sorry to bring this no, up. No, we are. We're way over time, but it doesn't matter because this is our network. It's actually it's like there's another the fuck fucking show to. coming on. Rachel Maddow is coming on next, so we got to wrap up. Uh, the Magic Men say that they were an a- they were uh, assigned to create a disinformation campaign around UFOs in Area 51 to distract from the actual military stuff that was going on. Uh, in I Area think I've 51. heard of that. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about all of it on a future episode, but we want to tease next week's episode. First, we want to remind you to look out for the Wednesday question, which will pop up on Wednesday after this episode posts on our Facebook page. On our Facebook page, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Um, 
Uh, next week, we're going to get a if little... If you have any tips or sightings or ideas on to help us with the William Newton investigation, the murder of... Um, yes. Of Billy London. Where where do they email those, Christopher? William Newton Investigation at gmail.com. Two L's in William. Newton has a T in it. N-E-W-T-O-N. No spaces, no underscores. All one word at gmail. And if you haven't heard last week, last our last episode, which was all about uh, the William Newton investigation, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Christopher has really put together some terrific. Like we're not going to solve this thing, but boy, did we come up with some really interesting uh, new facts and ideas and. Uh, from from people's tips and from just doing our own investigation. So well done, you, Christopher. Thank Tune you. back in for that if Thank you haven't you. already heard it. <clears throat> Thank and you. And what else, Christopher? Next week, True Crime TV Club returns. <gasps> if you're Excellent. W- one of those good little students that likes to watch ahead, although our usual disclaimer is it is absolutely not required, and Eric and I see it as our job to serve up the documentary episode of television or film for you so that you can speak about it as if you have seen it when you're done listening to us talk about it. This is our first experience with a show called American Experience from PBS, and it is actually listed as a separate film on the streaming platform of your choice, and the title is American Experience, The Island Murder, and it is a historical tale of homicide and racism in the Hawaiian Islands, so possibly a more serious focus for the next episode of TDPS oh, Presents right. Christopher and Eric, yeah. And murder is always pretty serious. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Our paranormal so, yeah. stuff may be a little lighter, but murder is always serious and always a tragedy for someone. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.